and welcome to this episode of Star Wars Generations. Um, this is the first time I have said those words aloud, though probably by the time you've heard this, I have already posted the introduction episode where we talked about the new name and the rebranding, although my guest tonight, Riki Hayashi, is giving me a very confused face, because even he hadn't heard those words before. Uh, but yes, this is part of the uh, still the same con kind of content, we're doing some rebranding. I'm often, as I said now, going to have my official co-hosts, Aaron and Alex. But, uh, but Riki and I are going to continue and finish up our coverage of the Star Wars Rebels TV show. We're hoping to get Sarah to join us back for the last episode, or at least maybe a season four and whole show recap. Today, Riki Hayashi and I are talking about season four of Rebels, episodes 13 and 14. Riki, how are we doing today? Well, these are not my favorite episodes. I, I guess I should keep saying that because we hit that <laughs> peak and now we're coming uh -huh. down. But they're still amazing episodes, just because Rebels is so good. Mm. And weird, right? Like, we talked about this last time, heading into it. We we talked about the Mortis gods. And yep. now, look where we are. I don't even know where yeah. we are, or when we are. <laughs> yeah, this is the... Uh, people who've listened to my other podcast, Superhero Ethics, know that I'm in general not a fan of multiverses. I'm not a fan of... Yeah. Time travels and all the kind of things, though I do think that the Spider-Verse movies have done it so, so well, that they're the exception. And here, like I've always said, that one of the things I love about Star Wars is that we very, very rarely go into time travel, go into multiversal kind of stuff. This is the one time we do it, and I think it is somewhat successful, but we'll talk more about that, um, as well as we'll get to talk about. But it, it's kind of a very interesting set of episodes, because these two have nothing to do with each other, and the first is some of the most esoteric, mystical, spiritual, forcical, like, <laughs> yeah. what is the nature of the universe or the multiverse itself? And the other is just a straight up, like, fight, 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 we're going to capture Lothal again. And so yeah. it's kind of it's kind of fun, but I think we're not going to have much of a theme today. So we're just going to kind of be talking about these two episodes uh, separately. So let's start with episode 13, A World Between Worlds which is written by Dave Filoni and is directed by Dave Filoni and Stuart Lee. So you know this is one that's really close to Dave's heart. Uh, and the description in Wikipedia goes, Sabine ends up being questioned by Haydn. Uh, Haydn is the kind of like the director of the mining project who clearly knows some things about the Force and like is clearly working with the Emperor to know what's going on here, and asked by him to interpret the pictograms he has found within the Jedi Temple, thereby learning that the Emperor intends to breach the barriers between life and death as a final stepping stone to controlling the Force within the entire universe. Just after, just after she has deciphered how to close the portal, Sabine is extracted by Hera and Zeb. In the meantime, Ezra wanders within a void between space and time until he is led by a convor to another portal, which is open to the scene of Ahsoka's final battle against Darth Vader. That's at the uh, very end of Season uh, 2. Just before her eminent demise, Ezra pulls her through the portal into the void, and after realizing that he has a chance to save Kanan as well, he makes an attempt, but is dissuaded by Ahsoka from changing fate. But with the opening of the Lothal door, the Emperor is finally able to reach into the void and attack them. Ezra and Ahsoka separate and escape through the portals through which they have come. With Sabine's hint, Ezra is able to seal the access accessway to the void, which also triggers the collapse of the temple. After a narrow escape, Hera returns to the temple, which has completely vanished, but with what he has learned, but with what he's learned in the Void, Ezra is finally able to overcome his grief over Kanan's death, realizing that if he had pulled Kanan out, 
he and the others would have perished instead. So here's my question. There's a lot I enjoy about this episode. But is it a fair statement to say that basically this entire episode is creating a plot device for the simple purpose of explaining why Ahsoka didn't take part in the Galactic Civil War that's portrayed in the original three movies. Um, does it? Does well, yeah, be, be, because we, um, oh shoot, as I say this, I'm really going to, uh, I, I don't want to spoil what comes at the end of Rebels, so be careful how I say this. Because, you know, this was always the question, is if Ahsoka is so, so powerful, what happened? And at the end of season two, it certainly seemed like Ahsoka might have died, although we saw a figure who looks like Ahsoka, like, going down into the depth. So it wasn't mm -hmm. clear. But, you know, and I certainly remember as it coming out, there's not a lot of speculation of, like, does this mean Ahsoka's dead? Is that what explains why Ahsoka wasn't in those later movies, those movies, which, of course, came earlier, but, you know, this is a problem when you create a major character in a prequel. In this, where Ezra doesn't, uh, you know, Ezra goes back to his time, but Ahsoka very clearly does not, um, you know, and of course, you, you and I now know that Ahsoka does appear in later stuff. Um, and I think from even when I watched this the first time, it, it felt to me like, yeah, this is probably like we're, we're specifically saying that this is a way for Ahsoka to have both survived her fight with Vader, but also be kind of off the table for whatever's going to come next. Hmm. Okay. So I, I'm I'm trying to figure this out. Are you? And maybe I wasn't watching closely enough. When Ahsoka leaves the world between worlds, does she go back through the same portal, or does she leave through a different portal? I don't go think we to see a different what time. She, I don't think we see. But I think she says she says something along the lines of like, "I can't go to your time." Yeah. I, or, I don't know if she says that or if it's because she's being chased by Palpatine, but certainly she, she's not able to go back to his time. Right. Okay. So, yeah, she, her saying that is saying that she can't go with Ezra to what is to her, like, two years into the future. Right. So she has to go back to her time on, uh, what is it, Malachor, right? The Sith Temple. Time and place. Oh, does she? Well, as you, I, as you said, at the end of season two, we see a figure that we are led to believe is Ahsoka leaving the temple, right, but I it, think. It, but if she's alive during the time of the Galactic Civil War, then we have to wonder why why wasn't she involved? Why didn't she come to help Luke? Why didn't she, you know, get involved? Like, to me, this is the opposite. This feels to me like, and again, I don't mind it necessarily. I don't love it. Um, I think there's some very interesting Force stuff that's created. I think there's some stuff that's kind of eye-rolly. To me, if you had already explained in the plot how it is that Ahsoka survives the fight with Vader, but isn't around during the Galactic Civil War, but will be available for whatever later content they want to create, if that had already been explained, I don't think there's ever a reason to create the world between worlds. To me, this this feels like a plot device to give a, people a chance to have hope that Ahsoka is going to show up again. Yeah, I mean, so a lot of the media I've been consuming um, regarding other multiverse stuff 
uses mm-hmm. the the term timey wimey, which I yep. really like. Um, so which does come from Doctor Who, we should say. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't know that. I'm not a who whoville Whovian. Whovian. All right, <laughs> See, I don't, I don't even know what the term is. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna coin a term. Hopefully, I'm coining it. Everyone, give me credit for this term. I'm gonna call it. Okay. This episode was forcey warcy. Okay. And I like it. I like it. I think last time I said I enjoy it when the force has some mystery to it and we don't mm-hmm. explain everything with midichlorians, etc. Yep. This is a little too far and I frankly I don't understand some of the stuff going on here and I don't think we're meant to understand it because as you said it, like it's a potential plot device it's it's mostly just a way to be like the force is way too mysterious for even right. like ahsoka and ezra to understand right well and especially they yeah it, it does seem like it's kind of midichlorians but kind of not it's trying to have it both ways especially because at one point they they say as i read there in the uh, description of the episode ezra is able to save ahsoka but can't actually no, I don't want to say that because it's a different thing. Um Yeah, no, I totally agree with you there. I think that they're they're trying to kind of have it both ways of having leaving some room for mystery and leaving some room for mysticism. And I think honestly, if they had just taken out the whole part with the Emperor, I, I think if you had given us just twenty-two minutes in the world between worlds and a lot more time to explore what that meant and maybe even have the Mortis characters come back or some other force beings, you know, maybe like echoes of Yoda or Anakin or anyone else in this world between worlds, we could have spent more time, again, not to explain it. I don't want the midichlorians of it, but I want to have a better just context of it. And instead, I think giving us this whole plot of rescuing Sabine and then the Emperor shooting lightning through the thing and like running away from that, that just kind of felt like wasted time to me. Uh, and it's funny, we're being very critical of this episode, and I'll say I think it's because, like, there, I enjoy watching this episode. It's, I think, a lot better than some other episodes. It's just that this introduces one of the most significant things to be a- added to yes. the Disney, to the Star Wars canon. Um, and they do it almost at the end of season four. And so I'm just like, don't, just don't give us Palpatine for those 10 minutes. Yes. Give us 10 more minutes of The World Between Worlds. Watching it this time, one of the things I noted was that I really dislike that this world between worlds exists as a potential deus ex machina or or just like a a power that can be harnessed and controlled potentially by Jedi and potentially mm-hmm. by Palpatine, right? I think uh, the minister... Haydn says something about like, you know, whoever controls this, I think he called it a void, can control Mm -hmm. all of time and space or something like that. So the implication is that like, if the emperor gains control of the world between worlds, it's all over. He's basically like Star Wars Thanos with the Infinity Gauntlet and can just like snap and do whatever he wants. Which uh, like, for all we talk about, you know, what makes villains interesting I don't think villains with that kind of power is interesting for storytelling. Yeah. And you have to like really work your way around it 
the way that the MCU did with Thanos. Right. I mean, I, I think that's really true. And I think that, A, it's not very interesting, although I do think that the Thanos thing, they did it, they did it well. Here, I never find it very compelling, both, both what you're saying, but also because we know it didn't work. Because again, and this again, I'm going to keep harping on this because I, I, I'm very critical of prequels because I think you have to be respectful to your original canon. And and here, it's not that I think they're not; it's that they're trying to tell me stakes that I know don't mean anything. You know, like well, um, but because I I know having seen those other movies that Palpatine clearly doesn't get control of this. Like, one of the things I think is so good about Rebels is that they've introduced us to all these characters. Frankly, I have no idea who's going to live to the end of the season because they don't show up in later works. And so, well, and granted today, if you're anywhere on the internet, you know that some of them are showing up again in later works. But, um, you know, when watching this, I, I thought any of them could die at any point. But watching this this episode, I knew there was no way Palpatine gets control of this. That just doesn't happen. I think it's possible that he could still end up accessing it because like, mm-hmm. you know, Hayden, Hayden is not the end all be all of knowledge about this place. Like, right. like he's speculating and p- p- perhaps kind of like being a little, a little hyperbolic. So I think it is still possible that the world between worlds could be connected in some way to somehow Palpatine returned. Right. And that they are going to set that up in addition to all the other things that they're doing. But (sighs) it's still like, even if it's not like Palpatine snaps his fingers and controls all the time in space, it's still, I don't know. I like, this is weird to say, but I'm going to say this sentence. I like my Star Wars to be grounded in reality. Yeah. To a certain degree. And even with the force, you know, like mind reading, some some mind control with you don't want to sell me death sticks, like big long jumps and like being able mm-hmm. to use lightsabers well. That's that's within the boundaries of a reality that I enjoy and can accept. This is this is just a little too far. I, I I agree with you that this is a good episode, but the reason you and I are being so critical is that it just feels like one or even like five steps beyond a Star Wars quote unquote rea- yeah. reality that I'm comfortable with, and it's getting yeah. a little weird. It's getting a little forcey warcy. And I think I think they could have been made to work. You know, I think like I think part of it is that. To me, the Mortis characters feel like they're some of the most controversial because they are both. Yeah, I've said I don't like them. Yeah, and that's the thing; <laughs> they're incredibly significant to the history and the and the ideas of the Force. But most people, but I think, as we said about that, you know, back when we watched the, those Clone Wars episodes, the execution, I think, a lot of people feel, myself and I think yourself included, wasn't done very well. And yeah. I feel like if you had had, you know. The realm of there, there's definitely been force power creep from 1977 till today. You know, the, the oh, realm definitely. of things that force users can use, but it's been done slowly. It's been introduced step by step yes. by step. And I think in the same way, you know, if we'd had two or three more episodes with the Mortis characters and someone, you know, at one point they mentioned that, like, 
they can move through time and space in ways that, you know, we normal beings could never understand. You know, like if they'd set up some mystery that the world between worlds answered, you know, or some other way of setting the groundwork. But I think to me, I, I don't know exactly what you're saying. It was jarring because there was no con. It was just so out of the blue yes. of, oh, yeah, here's this thing that has nothing to do with anything we've been doing for so long. 100%. 100%. Like when you mentioned um, power creep of the mm-hmm. force, what what that brought to my mind was the force healing that Grogu and Ray used kind of in quick mm-hmm. su- succession and like the release of those events. And I know, I remember, like, people getting upset about that and being like, that, you know, you can't use the Force like that. Or, like, something something that happened in The Last Jedi, people got upset. And Ryan Johnson, like, there's a video clip of him literally, like, taking a book out mm-hmm. off of his shelf and, like, pointing to a passage in some source book from, I think, like, the role-playing games or something. That's like, this is a canonical Force ability that you are complaining about. So... But those are with again within the realms of reality, like power creep, but not power jump. And yeah. I, time travel is very difficult to pull off well. And mm-hmm. I think in any time travel story, the less you explain it, the better. Because frankly, yeah. like no time travel actually makes logical sense when you get down to it, mm-hmm. in my opinion. And so, like, this is very dangerous. I think it's dangerous territory, and that's why we're critical and or wary of it being introduced to Star Wars, because we don't... I don't I don't think I want a story where, like, a Force user uses the world between worlds and, like, goes back in time and has, like, a traditional I-can-change-history-by-killing-Palpatine time travel yeah. story. Like, I don't, I don't think I want that in Star Wars. Yeah, no, I, it's... Because I think that's the thing with power creep is that, and and this is the time it is a troubling thing with sequels, but it's even hard, like it's even harder with prequels because yeah. then you always have to ask the question of if they could do it back then, why didn't they do it now? Yeah, you know, and that's and why like, I think it's it's significant that both Ray and Grogu use healing after a lot of the things that we've seen, you know, um, the prequels and then the original movies and stuff like that. Um, because, yeah, you wonder, like, why didn't Yoda find his way back to the world between worlds and go back to, I mean, maybe to kill Palpatine or maybe just to stop Darth Bane from ever starting, like, this inclination of the Sith or whatever it would be. Yeah. You just, you just play too many whatevs. To go back, way back, to your question of, like, where where was Ahsoka? Mm-hmm. And this is just my own headcanon. But this com- the confrontation with Vader... That she got pulled out of, but she had, like at Malachor, was traumatic to her. Mm-hmm. And I think given the significance of Vader in the Empire, after having that confrontation, I fully believe that she had to kind of peace out just for like her own emotional health. And maybe even fear of like, I can't beat him, or I don't want to beat him. I can't fight him, perhaps. Yeah, I. It's really hard to answer this without talking about stuff that comes after that's this episode. True. That's so true. I think I'm just going to say, <laughs> let's put a pin on this and we'll yeah. come back to it. Let's let's come back uh, to this. Um, yeah, and to... we actually, and I will say, at the end of this episode, we're going to do a spoiler section where we'll talk about both the rest of the Rebel show and um, 
while being careful not to go too into it, we will mention some things from the Ahsoka TV show as yeah. well, because they all tie very much into this. Um, but we'll hold that for a spoiler section. I will say one thing I did really like about this episode, because it's it just... I, I like getting to see different aspects of characters. And one thing I think that this episode showed really well is that Sabine is someone who loves a mystery, and especially when it involves art. Mm-hmm. And her and Haydn are on very different sides, but and I think he does too, less the art as much as the force stuff. And there, there comes a moment where, like, at first you look at it, you're like, is she a traitor? Why is she helping him? And it's not that that's what's happening. It's that they each have their own motivations for wanting to be able to get into the uh, world between worlds. And once they do, they're probably going to fight over it. But they both want to know. And when they both start realizing that the other has good ideas to help figure it out, they both kind of get into figuring it out together. And that's a, like, it's an interesting place because I think think some characters could look at that, I think fairly so, be like, how dare, you know, you shouldn't have helped in any way. But I think there's others where it's like, it's interesting to see characters who, like Sabine, have a clear idea of what's right and wrong, and like Hayden, like clearly don't. But for both of them, the love of knowledge and of learning is is kind of what surpasses in this moment. Yes. But I also want to point out that when push comes to shove and Sabine resists, he just calls in his purge troopers and ha- has one of them uh, hit her in the, the head yeah, to, to cow her and like make her, make her submit to him. So mm-hmm. despite their shared interests, he clearly displays evil traits and is not afraid to use violence and intimidation. So like it, it's, yeah, he's an interesting that. character, but mm-hmm. definitely a bad guy. Yeah. And it's funny, we keep going back and forth on calling him Hayden or Hayden, because I can't I think it is Hayden. Yeah, that's my quite fault. remember. But I found it really funny that he's talking about Ezra and then Kanan and then calls Kanan by his original name, but he mispronounces it. Instead of saying Caleb Doom, he calls him Caleb. And again, I always yeah. wonder if that's an intentional choice or just like the voice actor not being given a direction on how to pronounce a name as other characters have done. But it you kind know, of fits in with the previous like Thrawn is always mispronouncing Hera Syndulla. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Peter Cushing, uh, the actor who played uh, Grand, Old, uh, uh, Grand Moff Tarkin. Oh, yeah. Who, who was other than, um, oh, God, who played Obi-Wan Kenobi originally? I should know Alec this. Guinness. Like Guinness, thank you. Like they were two very well established stars, and both. Like my understanding is that George Lucas was just like, they're both kind of like not quite sure how they feel about all this sci-fi stuff, so we're not going to offend them in any way. So the story I've heard is that that's why when when Cushing kept saying Princess Leia, yeah. no one would would correct him. Sure. Um. So I think it might be that, but yeah, it also like might be like, oh this, my gosh, this is Malcolm McDowell. Like, just don't tell him. We'll just take that take. We don't need to redo it. <laughs> But it also could be, like, I could see it being intentional from the point of view of, like, this guy hasn't been dealing with the rebels this whole time. He's he's a minor and a, like, you know, forced academic. And someone probably gave him a 10-minute briefing of, oh, by the way, when you go to Lothal, here are these people you might have to deal with. And so he heard the name once or twice. Yeah. And then that's why he pronounced it. Or read it. Yeah. And that's just how he pronounces it. 
But I, it, like I said, it's a very minor thing, but I just kind of like it that it is kind of a theme of the villains mm-hmm. on the show is that they often seem to mispronounce the names of our heroes per mm-hmm. like how the other characters, like the regulars pronounce the names. And I'll admit, I don't think I noticed that. And I like, I know you've talked about on this podcast before and you've put into writing your thoughts on uh, how people have often mispronounced your name. And so it's something you're, you're aware of. And so, yeah, I really appreciate pointing that out. Cause I, as I think about it, you're right, but I don't think I'd ever really put those together before. So I want to just say, like, despite all of our critical talk, as I said, this episode is is really good, and I want to point out the things I love about the world between worlds. It's so beautiful, and the visual mm-hmm. conception of the the path, the pathways of light that kind of like wrap around. In, in kind of like a, they're circles, right? They're like, some of the paths mm-hmm. are circles. And presumably, like, if you walk on them, you could do like an MC Escher and like end up walking upside down at some point is mm-hmm. how it seems to me. And then the use of the, all of the voices of the Jedi that kind of like echo through it and the characters mm-hmm. can hear them. And especially like Ray, like literally like through time and space. So like, yeah. that was such a nice touch. Like hearing Ray's voice at one point is just like a nice audio cue of like, yeah, like this is this is all time. I mean, and I think the way they did it is makes a lot of sense because I think this is the order it happens, or it may just be the order in which I recognized it. The first of those voices that I recognized was Alec Guinness, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the original Obi Wan talking about, and the I force. was like, oh, yeah. that's one of the like we very rarely get. Um, you know, things that are directly from live action put into um, the animation. Yeah. Uh, by now, they're much more intertwined. But at that point, they still really weren't. Um, and so that was incredible. And then to do Ray and be like, oh, you know, and you're also showing that it goes back and forth in time, as would make sense. Yeah, I love that. And and I will say, I will very rarely say positive things about Rise of Skywalker. It is far and away my least favorite of the Star Wars movies. But I do love that um, it is, when when Ray is you know hearing the voices of all the Jedi. There's quite a lot from the animated series as, as well. Which oh that, yeah, that yeah. Really touched me. Ahsoka's voice is in there for sure. Yep, definitely, definitely. And if they ever re- like, I love Rosario Dawson, but like if they ever redub that with Rosario Dawson's voice instead, I will be so mad. <laughs> I, I I I just wanted to throw in a quick thing as well. I'm recording this just a couple days after Twin Cities Con, which is the comics con for uh, the Twin Cities area where I live. And I got to see Matt Latner and Ashley Eccleston, the voices of um, Anakin and Ahsoka in The Clone Wars. And then she's the voice of Ahsoka in in Rebels. Uh, And it really was just an incredible, incredible performance. Um, And I I, I tweeted, you know, I've come to respect Hayden more, but Matt Latner will still always and forever be my one true Anakin um, and it was just, if you get a chance to see them live, like they, they, they did a great job of answering questions from the audience. Um, the audience kept wanting them to talk about live action, which I think would have been a hard question anyway, but especially during the strike. And I really appreciated that neither one of them is bound by, I mean, they, they may be in SAG themselves because they know they do some live action stuff as well, but certainly their work on the Clone Wars was not part of SAG. Voice actors are not part of SAG. And they were very specific in saying that out of respect for their colleagues in SAG, they will not talk about any of the live action stuff, which I just mm-hmm. was really impressed by. So 
Total side note, but if you get to see them, uh, they're probably each individual great, but just together they have such a great dynamic. Awesome. That sounds yeah. that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, I would definitely agree with you about the animation. I thought just especially the way they did like the footsteps that they it, it every time one of them would walk, like their foot would create like kind of ripples uh, in in the sort of bridge of light that they were walking oh, on. Yeah. And it really kind of it, it just gave you this idea that this is kind of like very fluid, you know, like walking walking on water in some way. You know, there were just ripples through time and space of everything that was happening. That so yeah, I, that feels like a visual that is taken from anime, like Japanese anime. I couldn't name you a specific one, but I know mm-hmm. I know I've like seen that effect before. Yeah, I'm fairly certain that in um, uh, Full Metal Alchemist when they're kind of in the sort of alchemical worlds mm. kind of things. Like, I think that that happens, but I'm not positive. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think we're kind of in similar places. I think I like this episode less than you. It's it's definitely not in my – it's probably in my bottom 50% of episodes, but I do think that it's nowhere near the bottom 10 or anything like that. Um, I think there's a lot of things that are well done. I just – and this, it seems we disagree on, that's fine, but overall to me it feels like – they were getting to the end of the season. They needed a way to have continued access to the Ahsoka character, and they created this. And and maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe Dave Filoni always wanted this, but for all the reasons we talked about, it just feels like a departure. So, I think my um, summary would be that I enjoy watching this episode as a viewing experience. I do mm-hmm. not... I do not like the implications of this world yeah. between worlds for the Star Wars universe at large, and I'm very yeah. wary of its use. I, I, and also like I, I love it. I love it, but I'm scared. I think is what it is. And I love that breakdown because that's actually uh, that's a like matrix that I've used a lot when talking about the movies, and that I feel like. I don't like the implications of what Rise of Skywalker added to the story, mm-hmm. but I think it's technically well done and it's an enjoyable couple of hours. Um, oh, I disagree. I think the prequel. <laughs> what you say? Sorry, I disagree that it was an yeah. enjoyable two hours. Like I rewatched well, it within. I'm the past trying to be charitable here. <laughs> and I actually like got upset. <laughs> So that that I let me rephrase that. I think it is technically very well done. I okay. think the acting, the directing, fair. you know, etc. I don't really enjoy it that much. But what I'm contrasting that with, though, is the prequels, where I think the um, the things that it adds to the Star Wars canon are fantastic. Yeah. I just don't. I find them painful to watch. Um, you know, and I think, and I would I would put the Mortis arc in that same kind of a category, where I think the what the Mortis arc adds to the canon, there, it just feels like there's a lot. It, it doesn't break the canon. It doesn't introduce all new powers. It just introduces a lot of lore. And I think that's what I'm a lot more interested in. Yeah. Like, going back to the Mortis gods, like, I enjoy I enjoy the idea of them as mythological lore. But I mm-hmm. did not enjoy them as, like, actual gods that our characters interacted with yeah i think it's fair it's fair uh let's move on to the next episode which has some interesting things to talk about but we'll be uh, a little more grounded uh the 14th episode is a fool's hope hera rex and callus recruit hondo gregor and wolf and ketsu for a plan to liberate lethal um and for those who forget 
uh, Gregor, Wolf, and Katsu are the people who were hanging out with Rex when they went and found Rex uh, in uh, season one of Rebels, so a uh, long time ago. Sorry. They were the... Go ahead. The clones... The clones are Rex. Ketsu is like Sabine's old partner slash friend, right? Oh, yeah, okay. You're, yeah, I, I was reading them all together, and of course, that's, yeah, Hondo is, a, of course, not a clone. Ketsu's, I'm, I'm tired, forgive me. Yes. Uh, Gregor and Wolf are the two clones yes. there that I'm talking about. Hondo, we should all know because he's the best character <laughs> in all of Star Wars. And yeah, Ketsu is someone different as well. Um, so they go to recruit them for a plan to liberate Lothal, which they agree to out of respect for Ezra. And, and they very consciously say, this is not like an essential part of the rebellion strategy. This is what we want to do. Uh, back on Lothal, Ezra receives a vision that Thrawn is returning from Coruscant, meaning that they must enact their plan to seize the capital right away. At the capital, Price is secretly contacted by Ryder, who offers to betray the rebels to her in return for his own safety. Price and Rook lead an assault force on the rebel base, while Hera attempts to return with reinforcements, but must first slip past the Imperial blockade. The Imperials quickly gain the upper hand and capture the rebels, but Ryder reveals that his betrayal was merely a ruse to lure Price out of the capital. Hera arrives with a ghost and her reinforcements, while Ezra summons the Lothwolves to aid in the battle. The Imperials are swiftly defeated and Price is captured, but Ezra reminds everybody that the battle to liberate Lothal is just beginning. This episode is almost the exact opposite of everything from the last one. Um, it's just fun. Like, I think that there's some interesting character development. It moves the plot along towards what I think is pretty clearly going to be our, you know, big finale, because we only have two episodes left in the season. Yeah. Um, it shows a lot about Price's character and and in a kind of, like, addition by subtraction kind of way, like, tells us a lot more about Thrawn and sort of all this feeling of, like, let, let's go deal with these, like, lesser people, because Thrawn would be much harder. Um, it has, I think, my favorite shot of animation that I've ever seen, um, which I'll get to in a little bit. But okay. um, overall, I just think this was a... Again, it's not going to be in my top ten, because I don't think it is, like... Th- there's nothing very memorable about it, except for maybe the, the some of the animation. Um, but it's an important moment in the plot, and it shows some fun things about Price. And yeah, I just thought overall it was a fun episode. I I might I might put it in my top ten. I don't know. Like this show is so great. I've never actually like tried. I I think I plotted out like maybe my top five at one point. But everything we said about like you said the opposite of the previous episode. I agree with that thought in that a world between worlds opened up this door to way too much stuff, in my opinion. And I think this episode does such a great job of bookending the entire series, this entire show, and kind of like closing those doors in a satisfying way, by which I mean Mm -hmm. all of these characters that come together to help. And they, like you mentioned, they said it at the beginning, like, we're doing this for Ezra. And he has engendered such personal loyalty from all of these people that they are willing to do this for him. And it's all genuine. I love it. Like when Hondo says, like, there's nothing I wouldn't do for that boy. Like we believe it because mm. of the adventures that they have and, and yeah. what, what Ezra has done for Hondo. And as like 
you know, as criminal and kind of scoundrelly as Hondo is, I found it very believable for his character yeah. to say that in this moment and to say, like, I'll do anything for him. Hondo is, like I said, he's my favorite. I, I think there's other characters who are deeper, but I just love him so much. In part, and I think this episode really puts the capstone on it. Because, yeah, yeah, he is the scoundrel. He is willing to backstab people. But he does really believe in something, you know? And in some ways, this is a little bit his Han coming back for Luke moment. Um, yeah. You know, but he's still Hondo. He still asks to get paid. He's still, you know, <laughs> pushing for that kind of stuff. And in that, this is going to be a complete departure. But for anyone who has seen Our Flag Means Death, Hondo and Blackbeard, Ed, remind me a lot of each other. Uh, very different in some ways, to be sure, but both in that kind of like the, the pirate who's always had a heart of gold, but is just kind of letting it shine mm-hmm. more towards the end because someone else has brought it out in him. Yeah, and the the clones, I really love that they mention following Jedi into battle. Mm-hmm. It, it's, yeah. it's very tragic, like given Order 66, but for them, like I'm sure that there's a certain catharsis to that yeah that they they are given this opportunity again and of course like we've had the interactions in the past with rex and kanan mm-hmm. as well but i like i thought that dialogue was very well written for the clones it, it really was it was a nice way of because because rex came to trust kanan but if you remember back to the uh that those first episodes where he first went to this base that they have kind of like an old walker that has had the top of it taken off and now just kind of goes after these uh jupe creatures I'm probably getting the name wrong, but uh, again, that's what the podcast is. We talk about the depth, not the uh, get get every single name right. The um, the other clones, especially, were very distrustful of the Jedi, and the Jedi were very distrustful of the clones for very mm-hmm. good reason. And so, yeah, that 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 to me is kind of like the the them getting their closure on Order sixty six and everything that went along with it. So I just love that. Uh, do you want to guess what was my my the moment the, like the one shot of animation that just hit me so powerfully and that I think is maybe my favorite in all of animation I've ever seen? Yeah, I'll guess because I was I was thinking about it and I was like, what were the beautiful shots? So my guess is that it's the like space shot of Lothal with the Imperial fleet blockading and we see kind of like Lothal on fire in the background. Mm. Like, is that so it? So that was incredible. But no, it okay. was when Ezra is kind of backed up into the cave. Oh. And, uh, you know, the, 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 I know, yeah, the Imperials are saying, that, like, it's him against a completely black background, the yes. blackness of the cave. Yeah. And the Imperial, you know, he's like, no, we're still going to win. And, and they say, you and what army? And then with perfect timing, the Loth Wolves come up. And the first thing you see is just their glowing the eyes. eyes. Yeah, and it's yeah, just yeah, like yeah. this chilling moment of, like... If the villain and good guy were reversed, that would be a moment from a horror movie. Like, I cannot... I In that moment, I was terrified on behalf of the Imperials. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, go go Lothwolves. But I was also like, oh my god, that would be absolutely terrifying in this moment. And it was just so powerful and such a... You know, in some ways, I'm so sorry that obi-wan and ezra never get to meet because we talked about a while ago but well, obi-wan being oh yes no of course you're right you're right okay they did 
uh, I'm just dumb, but they didn't get to talk about both being the Steve Irwin. Because I think that the, the, the title of Steve Irwin of the Jedi or even the universe has been passed down from Obi-Wan to Ezra. Because Ezra is just so good with and, – and I think that's why he connects so well with the Lothcats, the Lothwolves, yes. uh, Ahsoka's Owl. I think he has the most interaction with Ahsoka's Owl, which we didn't even talk about in World Between Worlds and any other characters had other than Ahsoka. Um no, oh, yeah. as just... as the biggest Obi Wan animal fan, I will concede that point. I think Obi Wan mm-hmm. just enjoys riding animals, whereas yeah. Ezra seems to share like a real deep force connection with them. And mm-hmm. you're absolutely right; like it's a beautiful shot. I should have known. I mm-hmm. <laughs> I like both both of those moments were nice, and I guess for me, I just like I'm always more focused on the the spaceships and the space. Yeah. And I, I thought, I like it when I watched that, it's just such a terrifying moment of imperial power to see that fleet blockading and to see a planet like from space being literally being able to see like them raising mm-hmm. it, like it on yeah. fire. And it's yeah. devastating, right? Like, I think we've seen shots like that of Lothal in the past, like when Ezra returned to Lothal for the first time and he commented, like, the planet's on fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's really true. It's really true. And it was it was, it was hard to see, but I think it was really powerful. Uh, anything else about this episode you wanted to comment on? I feel like there isn't too much to go into. Okay, I uh, want to ask you... Do you recall the first time you watched this episode, did you think that Ryder Azadi was actually betraying them? 100% yes. Yes. So did I. I totally fooled. I think it's very believable. I think it's the dialogue between him and Price is well written, like for, per his motivations mm-hmm. to to buy into this. And so, and the voice acting, like obviously, like Clancy Brown often plays villains and other animated things. So he kind of puts on a little bit more of that villain voice when he's doing this. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that to me is like why I love this episode is that that moment is very suspenseful. Yeah. And then to have that turnaround at the end, the, the reveal, the betray, mm-hmm. like the double or even triple cross, I can't even tell anymore. Was yeah. just like a nice moment, and to have them throw—I think Ezra is the one to throw back in Price's face. Like we could have never fooled Thrawn, but mm-hmm. you. And I think after he says that, she still doesn't know until yeah. like Ryder actually says, "Like, well, mm-hmm. I got gotcha. you." Yeah, it's it's so well done, and it's so satisfying, and it. Because one thing I think that it really highlights is, and we've seen this in other places, part of why the Empire loses is that Thrawn is the exception and Price is the rule. Like, And this is very true to real life when people who are disloyal get killed and people who question orders get killed, then talent doesn't always rise to the top. Generally, what rises to the top are syncophants and people who have learned to cover their own ass and to stay safe and often what that also means though is that ego and ambition become really rewarded and stuff like that and and price just to me is a perfect example of all of that yes and she like like as an audience we were all tricked because like it's written Mm -hmm. in that way but her as a character was tricked because that's her mentality yeah 
right? And and when Ryder, she thinks Ryder is betraying the rebels, it's like, well, that's what I would do. So I believe this and like, yeah, I'll just go along with it. Um, I want to again recommend that people read the first of uh, the, the, the trilogy that is just called Star Wars Thrawn and then it's Star Wars Treason and then, uh, sorry, Star Wars Alliance, uh, Thrawn Alliances, Thrawn Treason. Um, because among other things, uh, they are sandwiched around these uh, books two and three are sandwiched around these events. And with um, book four happening, like, you know, as he is getting ready to go back. And just the disdain. A, first of all, you get Price's origin story, which makes her not sympathetic, but in that kind of like, I can understand how you got to be this way. And you did start out as a like somewhat good person who got screwed again and again and, and you know, went in the worst way with it. Um, but it just helps to explain her character and, and also explain just the utter disdain everyone else has for her. Um, so I definitely mm. recommend those books again. Um I want to uh, not have this episode go too long, and we want to go into a spoiler section. But, Ricky, any last things you want to say about this before we go into a spoiler section? Yeah. Uh, Kane and Jairus, please stop making me cry. Yeah. Or maybe, like, Freddy Prince Jr. Like, I, I think going back to the previous episode, just his, like, hearing his voice and, and like, his ethereal advice to Ezra echoing through the world between worlds. Like it just gets to me. I don't know what it is. Like it's such a, such a special character and such mm-hmm. a special relationship. Like I will, I will always treasure this show for that. Yeah, no, I think so. I think it is. He, he has been one of the most powerful characters. I, I think in the same way that like Clone Wars gave us Rex and gave us Ahsoka um, Kanan is, I mean, it gave us an amazing number of characters, but Kanan especially is one that I just, is so dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, so for anybody who has not seen the end of this season, uh, we're going to spoil that in a few moments. We're also going to spoil some things from the Ahsoka television show. We're not really going to talk about the TV show itself because of the strike, but we're going to just mention it in terms of how it's related to these episodes. Um, so if you have seen those, please stick around, uh, for everyone else. Uh, as always, thank you always so much. You know, normal sign-off, theethicalpanda.com. Uh, email us, contact us, find all the ways to contact us. Love your feedback. We're going to do a feedback episode again pretty soon. Uh, we've gotten some good feedback about uh, Rebel Season 4 going forward. Uh, and, of course, always please think about becoming a member. $5 a month really helps to support us. There's so many good things. It's such a such a, a great help to us. Uh, and it's only $5 a month. So please give that some thought. And uh, we will go into a spoiler section in 3, 2, one. So, I I think the spoiler section proved. I think that the last. I, I, again, we'll talk about this next week. But I thought that at the very end of Rebels season four, the last episode, they kind of say that Ahsoka reemerged from the world between worlds after the end of Return of the Jedi. Hmm. I I mean. Well, I, we're about to watch those episodes again. Yeah, it's it's so been a while for me. <laughs> But it's very possible. I my recollection of it is that we see her like walking out of the ruins. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Everything. My understanding of the world between worlds is that it is not. You cannot time travel. Mm-hmm. Like you cannot change times, and that fits in with what Ahsoka said of like I can't come back with you to Ezra. To, right. to what is my two years in the future and 
you can only like co- go into the world between worlds or get pulled into it as Ahsoka did, but you you have to leave from the same to the same time. Mm. And I don't. I know it's not like canonical, but I think, or maybe right. it is. But like, I think Dave Filoni has confirmed this in interviews that like it, we're not going to allow time travel, like technical moving from one time to another via the world between worlds. See, what I thought he had said is that I won't allow people to go backwards, but then allow people to kind of skip forward in time. Maybe what I'd always I thought Ahsoka did. So uh, we'll we'll figure it out next episode. But yeah, I. Either way, I'll say even if your side is true, I think may- maybe that's the best way I can describe it. The world between worlds feels to me like a retcon device. Like it, it, it's a way to kind of clean up the – because I think either way you have the question of either how did she survive the fight with Vader or – which this definitely answers, uh, which is kind of that she probably wouldn't have, that, that Ezra saves her. Um, and so maybe, maybe you're right. It goes back to original time, but still it's Ezra saving her. In a way that, um, so maybe it's not, yeah, I don't know. It, it gets so confusing. I wish we knew more about it. And, and I do like that we are getting more about it through, um, that, that the Ahsoka show is saying, like, we're going back to these questions. We're going back to uh, the Mortis arc, which is clearly going to be a big deal in whatever's coming next. Like, it, it sort of teased it in Ahsoka and didn't really go into it, which frustrated me. Um, I, I have a lot of thoughts on the Ahsoka show. And when the strike ends, those episodes will come out. And I'm sure you and I will also do an episode on it. Um, but yeah, kind of what, what, I guess what's your thought on all this, knowing everything we do about Rebels and also uh, the Ahsoka show? As I said, I don't, I don't want this in Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's here, and it's definitely here to stay. Um, I guess my general feeling is that I loved how it was used in Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. But I continue to, I continue to not want us to go back because yeah. I'm, I'm like truly afraid of where the story will lead and what, what the power can be used for. I just think it's too powerful potentially. Yeah. I think it's very true. And I think it's, you know, you always have to have that, like, you know, I like, I think it was a little bit hand wavy, but in, the Thanos arcs, they, you know, they destroy the gems by the end of it. And in theory, they destroy the method of time travel so that it's, it, it doesn't continue to exist. And I think I had always thought that part of the thing that happened is that the collapse of the Jedi Temple, like, closes off access to the world between worlds. And I, I will say that I don't think the phrase world between worlds was ever used in the TV show Ahsoka. There's obviously the scene where Ahsoka interacts with Anakin in ways that seem very similar to the world between worlds and that many people in writing about it called the world between worlds. But like in the same way that the words crate dragon are never spoken in the original series and the movies, but you see their skeletons and stuff. I, I don't think the words world between worlds were spoken in Ahsoka. So it's, I think it's, but I, I think it's very likely that that's what that was. But um I, I'm just going to say, and I, I have hope that they recognize what a dangerous thing it is, but I agree with you that I am, it would be very easy to start going through and retconning things and, and fixing canon issues and stuff like that. And I just, I just don't want that. I, I hate that in, you know, 
pretty much every 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 I think it's become the real fad, and it just it like right now the Loki show is coming out, and I'm not watching it because I just lost all interest when you know everything got reset again at the end of season one, and I just don't want it in Star Wars. Okay. I'm going to I'm going to talk to you after we're done recording about that because okay. this is not about Marvel. Um the other like spoilery thing regarding Ahsoka I want to talk to you about is Sabine. Mhm. We we talked about the way that that Hayden kind of like manipulated Sabine or appealed to her ego mm-hmm. to help him in this conversation and she did to a certain degree and i believe like it's very consistent in her character what she does on ahsoka Mm -hmm. yeah no i think i think that's true and i think the kind of like the the and and that's kind of the i don't want to get into this because i i'm trying to avoid like specific plot points yeah so if you know you you know is how i'm trying to say it I don't like the way I, – I think Sabine's character was not handled great in the Ahsoka show. There's a lot of things that was good about it, but the the way she makes decisions and the way that sort of her arc resolves didn't work for me. Right. But I, I will say that what is this episode helps to set up the problem that she is wrestling with throughout the season. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that was cool to watch. I definitely was making that connection as I was watching. All right. Well, I think that's about it. Um, Ricky, as always, thank you so much to our fans. I already gave you the spiel. You know where to check us out. You know where to sign up to be members. Thank you all so much for listening. We have spoken. Doom. Collab. Doom. <laughs>